Greetings, darklings. From across the interweb, it is once again I, the Duchess Precious Ken, here for the Sounds and Shadows podcast. Uh, I am very excited to talk about this podcast. Before I do, I have a couple of uh, unboxing shout outs. I love when people send me stuff. When they do, I'll talk about it on the podcast. I am sporting this lovely, uh, oh wait, we got to get the bottom here. There you go. Arden and the Wolves t-shirt that was sent to me. Um, wonderful uh, person from California that has a really cool band you should check out. Oh, the, the curtain was revealed, the man behind the curtain. Um, and then the other thing I want to shout out here is that my dear friend Sunil uh, from KOOP um, sent me over a beautiful little snack pack of stickers and goodies from KAOP. So I will rock those socks in a future interview. Um, so a big part of what we do here is interviews with bands and artists and talking with them about their process and their lives and things like that. But this scene is so much more than that. It really, I mean, the bands are obviously a big part of it, but none of that gets out to the world, especially in this day and age, without review pages, without DJs. Um, that's a lot the lifeblood, too, of this. And so today, I'm very excited to be interviewing somebody that I feel, whether it's a, as a DJ, um, as part of the fashion scene for it, is just an instrumental voice in growing and uh, getting people interested and involved in this dark scene of music that we love. So it is my pleasure to introduce Kate Muir. Hello. <laughs> um, do, you, do you prefer uh, Kate or hate uh, for, because I know that's kind of your DJ uh, nomenclature. The, the, the DJ name is DJ Hate Muir. Um, but you're, you're welcome to call me whatever you want, as long as it's, you know, not, I'm hey, dickhead, because my dad used to call me that as, you know, a familiar thing, and he's dead now, so nobody gets That's to call fair. me dickhead anymore. <laughs> I, I most certainly would never do that. Um, okay, well, uh, DJ, hey, tell us a little bit for some of our fans who might not know about your show and be involved about your history coming into this scene and how you put together to me what is one of the most interesting and informative uh, Twitch DJ performances that's currently out there right now. I think you have around like 4,000 constant followers, uh, which is really good for uh, a Twitch stream for goth music. So, uh, I mean, uh, when it comes to things like follower counts, I'm not really interested in that personally. Uh, if I wanted to have more followers, there's lots of games I could have played to get the follower count higher. Uh, I kind of am more interested in quality people watching my channel. I find that um, while I might not have a huge, necessarily a huge following compared to a lot of people, I have a very dedicated following, which is pri my primary objective. I come from a tradition of street performing where we curate our audiences. So when I started my channel, I kind of really wanted to curate my audience <laughs> just off the yeah. bat I, I want to address the the i'm not i'm not no, into the pomp I, and circumstance of the follower counts yeah no i i think that's great and i think that's very true because i i pop in on your stream a lot and that's one of the things that to me from a lot of the streams why i care so much about yours is that it's always full of a lot of people engaged, asking about every song, asking questions, like following along. It isn't just kind of, I don't know, people put this on in their kitchen and then they walk around and do stuff. 
every time I'm there, I feel like I meet someone new that I'm talking to that cares about and is interested in music. Yeah, I really wanted to make sure that um, first and foremost, we were an accessible community because when it comes to stuff like goth music specifically, as we know, as we've, we've talked about on so many, you know, discussion forums, there's a lot of gatekeeping. There's a lot of uh, elitism. There's a lot of, uh, you know, you have to look a certain way or behave a certain way to, you know, attend certain shows or that kind of thing. And I kind of wanted to just destroy that because I feel like, the scene doesn't grow unless you get new people engaged in it and new people getting engaged in music don't necessarily care about the fashion or necessarily care about, you know, uh, the aesthetics or, you know, gatekeepy things like who saw which band in 1986 kind of deal like I wanted it to be a, a space where people can ask questions and primarily when I started the listening party show, it was kind of designed originally with musicians in mind because I was getting a ton and ton of, you know, uh, promo down codes, download codes and, and prom promotional material to spin. And I was noticing a lot of the music that was coming out of the goth rock, specifically goth rock, death rock and post-punk. It wasn't doing anything new. It wasn't, and you could, you could hear how derivative it is. And I want to encourage people to create good music. I don't want to be that jerk who's, you know, gatekeeping and saying like, oh, I'm not going to spin this because it's bad. It's, it's more of the, okay, I can hear where your, your influences are. Let's find some other influences for you to get excited by. Let's explore other music. Um, the tagline for Listening Party is I give you permission to listen to other music because I think that if we you know, looking, you know, as goth as we do, if we, if we give people permission, you know, to, to listen to, to other music, then it's almost like it's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay for people to explore things outside of what they know. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And it, that is an important part of it, because it wasn't always that way. You know, I know growing up for me and everything, it, you felt like a poser when you were coming in, no matter when you came in, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways. And I think it also changes a lot. Like I remember back in the day, if you didn't wear the clothes and have the look, fuck you, you were a poser. Even if you knew every rare Sisters of Mercy B-side, but you just wore a polo shirt and jeans, like you're a fucking poser. And nowadays, it's the exact opposite. Like, it's come full circle where, like, if, you know, you're kind of somewhat into the music, but you're 22 years old, you don't really care that much about Andrew Eldritch. He is just some crusty old dude. But the fashion fitting in, going to a place that you feel safe is what it means to you. And yeah, you are starting to listen to the music or getting into it. But I feel this tendency for people to go after people like that and to me, they're both equally fucking stupid. Like, you yeah. know, going after both sides. If someone wants to be a part of this and needs to be a part of this, then let's just let them be a part of this, you know? And they'll find it at their own speed because nobody came shooting out of the womb with the inherent knowledge of all things goth music. Like we all found this at some point, we all learned about it. And just because it happened to you before it happened to this person, like you don't get a goth pension or any shit. Like that. <laughs> I, <Okay>. Apt. <laughs> yeah. So 
you you mentioned one of your shows um which which is one that i really take a big interest in because it's such a deep dive um but you have several shows on twitch that you do can you shout out each of them and kind of tell me what the goal is with each show yeah so the first one we talked about was listening party which happens on tuesdays at 7 p.m eastern time and uh, that show is basically a deep dive into the history of pop music through the lens of goth. Uh, but we've also explored classical music on it. Uh, I did a show for Chopin's birthday because I felt like Chopin should be, you know, embraced by the goths since it's melancholic piano music. So I'll, I'll and I'll talk about music theory, music history. And uh, sometimes we talk about heady uh, intellectual concepts like the situationists or uh, outsider art or whatever happens to jive with the record that I'm spinning that day or the concept we're talking about. It's become a broader show. Uh, we talk, we, I did a show called The Very Black History of Goth where I basically talked about how goth was created from and through black musicians. Mm -hmm. um, I did another show recently about the celebrity DJ, the inception of the celebrity DJ uh, because I got into a ridiculous argument with some crusty old dudes who were like you know i don't like these celebrity djs now i'm like yeah have you heard of jimmy savile like come on this has been all around since forever right. um so i did a show based on that and uh so that show's kind of a little bit more a little bit more uh, educational so it's, it's kind of for the audio file for people who love music and want to explore music more and maybe deeper learn a little bit more about music theory uh that shows a good one on thursdays on, real quick on that i wanted to shout out um, because my first review of a DJ performance was around that show you did as a uh, retrospective on Joy Division and Ian Curtis. In particular. Yeah. Uh, real quick, do you want to give a, a shout about that and kind of talk um, about why that piece was kind of important for you and how you thought it was different than your average streaming show? Uh, yeah, thank you so much. By the way, thank you so much for that review. That was that was pretty rad. Um, so we did isolation in 2020 because it was the 40th anniversary of Ian Curtis's death. And I'm a probably self-confessed one of the biggest, biggest Joy Division fans on the planet. So I was like, I should probably do something for this, but I don't want to do like, you know, your average, I'm just going to spin all the hits, yeah. you know, or like, cause there was I'm a lot of streams. My favorite doing. 20 songs or something and just call that a set. Yeah, and there was, there was a lot of streams doing that that day, and that was totally fine. But I wanted to kind of explore with multimedia since, you know, shout out to Matt Servo, my producer, since I have this incredible producer working with me. I thought, well, why don't we make this more of like a, like a, a journey through this person's life yeah. with audio, visuals, but not their music per se, the music they would have listened to, the music that would have inspired them. And so we wove in together set lists of like set lists of the time period that Ian Curtis was a child to when he was a teenager to when he became an adult. And then we started, and then I started spinning some joy division towards the end. I have some first presses on records that I wanted to play. And we did some comparing and contrasting with different recordings. So talking about the importance of Martin Hannett and how he brought his sound into it. So I wanted people to come away with it with a deeper appreciation of the music, but also an understanding of the context of the time period the band came out of, where they were coming from, what facilitated, you know, their music, and kind of honor the person and honor the music uh, in, a, in a different way, so. No, I, and that's 
what I saw and what I really loved in Touch Beyond is it, it was, it was a lot of information, but it wasn't just playing Joy Division music. It was building a character sketch almost through music of, you know, Ian Curtis and kind of that impact. And so, yeah, sorry, I, I just wanted to make sure you kind of shouted out and I'll make sure to put the link uh, to that review, which has a, a link to, to everything of uh, Kate's in the uh, interview when we release this. Yeah, thank you. Also, again, thank you so much for that review. That was that was pretty, I was very honored to, to have a review on something like that, because that show was a lot to put together. And uh, we had a lot of technical difficulties the first year we did it because it was kind of the first year of the pandemic. Nobody knew what was happening. I had very limited gear. And uh, so when we remounted it last year, I feel like that was when we did justice to the to the actual show. And that's what actually kicked off the listening party show because people liked it so much. Yeah. They were like, can you do shows like this? I was like, well, this was a huge fucking undertaking. And it took me weeks of preparation and getting assets like video and, and creating stuff for it and doing all the research. So I was like, how about we do mini versions of this? And we'll do, you know, we'll listen to a record and we'll talk about the history of the band or whatever. And now that show's just morphed even further. So that one's, it, 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 that, was, that was born out of the isolation show. I might do another show like that in the future, uh, profiling another artist. Um, I think it would be fun. I just haven't really thought of anything right now that I was so connected to. It was easy to do it with that show because, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, I was a touring mime artist and, you know, Ian Curtis was really into circus. And so I, I had a lot of that, you know, shared passion that I wanted to share with the world about that stuff. So I'm still looking for other things to kind of talk about uh, in regards to that, but. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really cool. And I, I think something that you said there is you to put in that much effort into something, especially the history and research, like I've been there too, it has to be something you're feeling. It's a passion project. It's not like you're getting big bucks for this, you know, to see that you're putting in a lot of this time and effort um, just because you care about it and you want to. And yeah. so, yeah, like you have to, you have to pick something that really matters enough to put that much blood and spit into it. Um, you know, if you're going to put yourself on the line on a time commitment wise. But, but hey, if the audience pays me, I'll, I'll do it on, on just about anything. If they like it that much and it's, and they'll pay me what I'm worth, I'm, I'm happy to do <laughs> mount bigger shows like that, you know? So like I said, you have several different shows and I kind of want to hit on and talk on some of the different ones. Uh, what else do you have going on? Uh, the Day Drunk? <laughs> the legendary Day Drunk with DJ Habior at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Thursdays. <laughs> so that show started out as a fucking joke. And it, so what happened was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, my DJ partner, Vernal Trash, with whom I work doing Darkness Forever, which is our show that we do live, that we did live before the pandemic, um, we, we decided we wanted to, to try out doing it on Twitch once a month. And we had some fun with it. It was great. But, you know, Vernal Trash had a job that he was still able to work during the pandemic, and I didn't. <laughs> I was completely grounded from touring. So I was like, I, I should just start a, I should start a daytime stream. So one night, Matt Servo and I, uh, at, the, at the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was still in lockdown and all the folks were making their sourdough and 
Matt Servo and I were drinking, which was Matt Servo's not a big drinker. And we were we were drinking every day. And we one night we just ordered pizza, had some drinks, and we watched the movie Freaked, uh, the Alex Winter film Freaked. Uh, and we were like, this is fucking amazing. Do you remember? Do you remember MTV? Do you remember that whole era? And then we kind of went down a deep dive of like liquid television and Ooh, yeah. stuff like that. And we were like, fuck, remember this stuff? We yeah. love this shit. And we were like, you know what? I want to do a daytime stream. I want it to be like MT, like early MTV. I want it to be like you can't do that on television or liquid television. Like I want it to be just ridiculous, nonsensical, non sequiturs. I play whatever the fuck music I want. It doesn't have to be, you know, our precious goth rock and post punk and industrial. Like I just want to play shit like was not was or oingo boingo and like I don't give a fuck. And that's kind of how Day Drunk started. <laughs> I mean, Danny's come back pretty hard towards goth in his, in his later years. Like, that's which, pretty awesome. <laughs> which was actually kind of great because we had started that show prior to the announcement of Danny Elfman's return with that album. And then when that album came out, like literally within months of Day Drunk, I think that kind of helped Day Drunk get popularity because people were like oh my god danny elfman again and they're like oh shit there's this wacky stream that kind of has that aesthetic <laughs> that's awesome um real quick too i know i keep stopping you because you're bringing up interesting things here but before going on to the next show um you brought up to me there is absolutely no freaking way that i could do this without kate um you know without a, a great producer editor i don't know keeping my wheels on the wagon all of that you shouted out a couple of the people that you work with um briefly but do you want to uh say hi and just kind of say how important that is towards making this happen i don't know about you but there is absolutely no way i could do it on my own yeah um i definitely want to shout out vernal trash because if it wasn't for vernal trash i wouldn't be djing <laughs> vernal trash and ryan from toronto ryan from toronto actually yeah, two awesome uh, people. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan dared me into starting the DJ. So it's all his, and, and, and when I started DJing, I was like, this is gonna be a really fun hobby. <laughs> Been there, yeah. <laughs> and then now. <laughs> and then now. So I don't know whether to say thank you to Ryan or fuck you to Ryan that <laughs> this is my job now. My, um, my but, big secret thing with Ryan is, yes, we talk music a lot and they'll, you know, talk with each other. I've been on his show. Um, but bigger than that, usually it's me and Ryan talking about pro wrestling late at <laughs> night. We have like a secret goths into pro wrestling club, like DM exchange happening. And yeah, so we talk a lot of AEW. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, Vernal Trash has just definitely made me a better DJ. I think he's one of the best DJs I would say hands down the best DJ in Toronto, um, but if not one of the best DJs in Canada, his skill, his lack of reserve, his experiment, his, his, his ability to experiment and not be afraid or give a shit about what his audience thinks and just takes them with him. He taught me a lot about how to break new music in a way that sticks with people. A lot of DJs say they break new music, but then people kind of forget or they forget where they heard it from. Like Vernal Trash is one of those people that everybody can point to and be like, like he was on top of Italo before fucking Boy Harsher and Merm and all these folks in Nuovo Testamento came out. He was playing that shit years ago because he thought Italo had a place in goth. Like he, mad respect for Vernal Trash. Definitely one of my favorite humans. 
one of my rider dies and the only person I could have thought to bubble up with during the pandemic for sure. Yeah. Um, and the second one is, is Matt Servo. He doesn't, he, he likes to stay in the shadows, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But, you know, when, when I, when I started the channel, I had come from a tradition of working solo. I had a solo street show. I toured solo. A lot of people thought that in my industry, we all toured together. That's not how it works. Um, you know, and I, and I worked very, very isolatedly solo. Um, you know, I would do my show, set up my show, do my, you know, liminal space moment and then leave. And always was very adamant I would never work with my life partner. We always kept our work lives separately because I liked my autonomy. He liked his autonomy. And then the pandemic kind of forced us to work together because when I started my channel, I had I had high standards for what I wanted my visuals to look like because, you know, I, I did study film in university, so I had the language behind me. So I knew what I wanted. And I had the years of experience of having high standards for my shows. So I wanted to have a show that was high quality, high standards. While I do believe it is absolutely important to focus on the music, I, I also want to say 100% focus on your music. Your curation is number one. Uh, your personality is also important. A lot of DJs will say, it's all about the music, but let's be honest here. If people don't remember you, they're not going to remember what you spun. Yeah. Um, but I, I do believe that the visuals are also a key component. And I wanted to have certain things like the title tracks on the screen. That was, that was part of my, you know, non-negotiable when I was setting up my ideal stream. We actually sat down and had a meeting and Matt was like, what do you want for your ideal stream? And I was like, I, okay, so I need to have this. I need to have that. I need to have this. I need to have that. And through blood, sweat, tears, and regret <laughs> we we came up and cobbled together the show and we cobbled it together with gear that we both had between us you know um and it only improved as we were fundraising to get better things and the only reason why we needed to get better things was because it was overloading the computer that we were working with or my controller was limited and i couldn't plug in all the different physical media i wanted to play and but everything we did was was with stuff that we both had mutually. I had mixers, I had, you know, uh, sound equipment, Matt had a camera and Matt had lighting equipment. So we kind of just pooled our resources together and we're like, okay, what can we do to create this pirate radio station? <laughs> That's awesome. And and I, I don't know, I just think it's important every once in a while to take a second and and shout out kind of the other people that you don't always see behind the scenes. And I agree with you 100%, even for bands, you're talking about, you know, if, if people try and say that how you engage with your fans isn't important, that you, I, your personality is part of it now, especially nowadays with social media. Um, I was talking, we did an interview the other night with uh, Jason Corbett and kind mm -hmm. of talked about this, that I love the fact that actors in particular stick out in my mind as somebody who has completely flipped this idea of the rock star party kids, aloof assholes kind of thing that was the scene for so long and just what rock stars did. They weren't supposed to be people you knew. They were supposed to be this concept, you know, bigger than life or something. And I think actors, a lot of people have now, but more than anyone have really nailed down the other side of that. Somebody that is kind and polite and thoughtful and that you can know and comes up sober after every one of their shows to say hi to any fan, take a picture and just 
let you engage with them. And they've toured all over the world doing that to the point where I think that is paramount to their success because so many people feel like they want to associate themselves with this image of who they are in addition to the wonderful music they make. Yeah, and I think it is, I think it's always been there. I think it's just the, the cultural shift has, the tolerance of cultural shift has changed. Yeah. Where, you know, as a culture, we, 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 don't, we don't care about drunk assholes anymore because they're not, that's not productive and it's not fun, especially during a global pandemic, you know, where uh, we were called upon, artists were called upon to pivot, you know, we were supposed to pivot. I had a great career for 20 years. I toured globally and suddenly I had no job anymore. And, you know, we pivoted to be able to keep people distracted and happy. And if you're a jerk to people when you're trying to keep them distracted and happy during a monumental global crisis, like nobody wants anything to do with you. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. And, and I think you bring up a really good point there too, which to me inspired me in this and got me into it because I'm a very extroverted person. I always have been. And when the pandemic hit, at first, you know, when I work from home, so I was literally going nowhere, seeing no one. Rachel would go to work. She'd come home at the end of the day and I'd spend a bit of time with her. But there was often eight, nine, 10 hours in there where I was just alone every day. And I mean, me and my cats. But it was such a big deal when you and others started doing these streaming shows that I could talk to people and feel like in real time, I was kind of in a club talking about music or talking about a song or something. I was on a dark road for a minute there. And honestly, a lot of these or like the live shows bands were putting on, you know, streaming were kind of saving me. And I think a lot of people felt like that. And that's what really burned this community to kind of jump to another level in terms of the, you know, live streaming shows. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm super fucking proud of the goth scene and the global goth scene, how everybody came together. It just baffles me. It boggles my mind because functioning in a community like the street performing community, it's a fringe industry. Sure. There's not a lot of us working globally, especially on the professional level, like the full-time touring level. And, you know, watching that community fall apart during the pandemic was really, really hard for me because it was so much ingrained as part of my identity for most of my life. You know, I, I'm a, I, I have to admit, like doing streaming and having a platform and a space that was constant was very new and not very, I struggled with it at first. I still struggle with it now because I've always been a fan of liminal spaces, liminal performance. You come in, you do your thing, you leave and it's a formal. But you know, having a, a platform where people can directly contact you and you have the same audience every week. I've never had the same audience every year, except for maybe in Halifax, at Buskerfest in Halifax, and maybe Edinburgh Fringe, where the same people will come watch my shows. But that's a little bit different because they're not accessing me all year round. Right. So like, you know, being in a, yeah. yeah, so like being in a position where you're fully accessible was a little daunting at first and a little strange and a little frightening uh, because I'm, I'm a natural introvert. So, you know, being accessible full time was, was very strange. 
But you know, watching the the rise of the uh, the DJ community come together and seeing people do amazing things like you know holding benefits for causes and each other and supporting each other and and you know bumping each other up. That was the other thing that was so fucking amazing to watch was people like promoting each other and there was like no ego involved everybody was just watching each other's streams and supporting each other for the sake of it and you know i think that is so beautiful like that that really endeared me to the community because i've always oh, kind of struggled yeah, like, you know you see somebody like say that and all of a sudden on all of a sudden a bunch of people raid into their thing and you watch the energy in the room come up like yeah Every time I was like, that's so fucking awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, and, it, and, it, and it was so surprising for me as a street performer because like this is so, so much in line with our work, you know, like that's why I took to Twitch because I love the live stream aspect. You have to come in immediately. I'm not saving this for later. It's, you can't watch it later. You got to watch it now. Um, and watching, you know, like the, the, the Twitch community kind of like start learning the, the, ticks, the, tri the, the tips and the tricks of being a street performer was kind of interesting. And it also made me just go, well, why hasn't my other community embraced this? Like, why haven't they figured this out? This isn't rocket science. Like, this is, this is exactly like our job except online. And it was so great to see the DJ community kind of come together and like, you know, I was hosting workshops for uh, DJs who are dealing with hecklers for the first time because they've never dealt with that before. And that's definitely something I've had a lot of experience in face to face with people. So, you know, I, I offered a free, you know, let's, let's sit down and help you give you guys arm you with some tools so that when you, ha when you experience this, you can monetize it instead of feel right. bad about yourself because Hecklers are, they only have one function, make you money, you know, mm -hmm. and, and having people, you know, respond to that and, and, and seeing the giving and the taking and the support and the shout outs. It's just been utterly amazing. The community, we, we have a damn good community. Yes. No, it, it's true. I, I feel the same way. And like, to me, I mean, doing the sounds and shadows thing, the Facebook group and whatnot, it, it is, it impresses me every day. And sure, there's like we talked about earlier, gatekeeping and bad stories within the community. And there's even toxic elements that, you know, we need to always be on the lookout for and always trying to, and that's always going to be there of any kind of group. But I want to make sure that I always remember and think about just how good it is too. Like there is a lot of lifting each other up, helping out and, and trying to make everybody burn brighter because really it's the only way. Like if you're tearing down other parts of the community, just like taking shots or whatever, nothing sounds more local band than like getting online to like, to, you sound like that guy at the back of the show when someone is trying getting some success that's just like, well, I don't know that, I think that guitar's on tune anyway, like, fuck those guys. Like, you know, you know what I mean, man? I mean, don't say it too loud. Let's whisper about it. But like, yeah, fuck, fuck it. I mean, that just happens nothing everywhere. It, it does. It does. <laughs> but like, to me, nothing will quicker ensure, yeah, you're not going anywhere ever. Like that, you're putting that energy in the world and it's coming right back to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the people who complain the loudest are usually the people that produce the least. <laughs> Um, so, oh, wait, there is one more show I want you to shout out real quick that you do here that you were talking about with Vernal. Um, 
And then I want to go on and shift gears entirely and talk about something else. Yeah. So I have one more show on this channel and then I have a couple shows on my other channel. The last show that we do here on, on Hate Me Or uh, mm -hmm. on Twitch is Vapor Grave which uh, I've been doing solo the last couple of weeks. That one started out as, a, as, a, as another one of those spite shows where um, me and Connor from Trick Casket were, were like, you know, I'm a big fan of Vaporwave. I think there is absolutely a place for Vaporwave in the goth community. I think it falls under the umbrella. I have made numerous arguments, both musically, like theoretically musically, and also personally, <laughs> objectively, that um, Vaporwave should be part of the, the umbrella and Synthwave, it has can be a big con contributor and uh connor fucking loves witch house and we get roasted for it we get roasted for it i've been i've apparently i was roasted on a podcast for my love of vaporwave so we were like fuck it we're gonna do a vapor a vapor grave show where it's just witch house techno ebm you know synth wave vaporwave outrun pizza wave whatever the fuck you know synthy music and uh, it's an assault on the senses. It's very brightly colored, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And we, we generally, Connor and I do that together. He takes care of the witch house and the spooky stuff. And I take mm -hmm. care of the, the bubblegummy poppy nihilist stuff. But um, yeah, he's been, he's been uh, moving. So we haven't been able to do it together the last couple of months. So I've just been doing it on my own. Um, but the other shows that we do on my other channel, Darkness Forever TO, is our Sunday Mass where Vernal Trash and I just spin, and that's where our club show is. Like, yeah. day, day Drunk is not a club-style show. I'm not doing fancy mixing. It's more the concept is, you know, I'm, we're all at the office together, and I'm just getting drunk. I'm that office worker who's getting drunk, you know, while everybody else is working and making sure everybody's distracted and happy. So our Sunday Mass show is where we do our club sets, where we try to emulate what we were doing in the before times. And now we're doing again because the world is opening yeah. up again. Um, so it's, you know, we, we fuck around, we spin some good music. Sometimes hamster dance makes it in there, you know, we'll do whatever <laughs> we have fun. And, and then the last show we do on Wednesdays at 7 PM is, uh, Eastern time is, uh, gabbing about goth. Yeah. I love that one too. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's such a different thing from just, I don't know, you're standing, you know, spinning music or whatever. It's where you guys, yeah, get some hot takes in about what's happening in the scene. And you're both very entertaining people and, um, you know, have, but have intelligent takes. And at the same time, you know, throwing in some fun and humor along with it. But yeah, I, I love that show, both the concept of it. And I think uh, you have such an excellent execution for it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the concept for Gabbin about goth was actually inspired by Space Ghost Coast to Coast. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, the, the Adult Swim uh, was a classic time. I don't know if they'll ever lightning in a bottle cartoons quite like that. I know, that was so good. And like, what, I, I think it was like one of our first episodes, we uh, interviewed Barrett from Boot Blacks because he was like, our when you start enter, when you start interviewing people, I want to be your first interview. And we're like, fuck yeah, you're going to be. So we had him come down on the screen <laughs> like, like Space Ghost and it was just so random. It was great. We had a lot of fun oh, on that show. <laughs> that's awesome. So we've talked a lot about the DJing thing, but it's not a, the only way that you are a part of the scene. I mean, you've talked a little bit about um, doing performance, um, whether it's through mime and stuff like that. But in addition, you're a big part of uh, 
the fashion scene in that way, in things that you're making, in, I don't know, to me, I mean, trends and looks that you're setting online with your shows. Um, I know you don't try or think about that probably, but but it happens. And I, I think to me, like most people that are trendsetters in that way, that is how it works, is they aren't the type that are trying or thinking about it. It's just kind of their energy. Huh. I never I never really thought of myself as a visual trendsetter with the Sonny Crockett blazer. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sun. I went out and got one of those blazers and I will be wearing it to an upcoming event. Um, so yeah, don't sell yourself short there. But tell me um, a little bit about uh, the, the corsets, the fashions, the things that you make and how that kind of adds in to the scene. Because um, we, we did a little discussion on not gatekeeping on it, but the fashion is a part of it. It is a way to kind of put the badge on and say to someone across the room, hey, I'm with you, you know, in that sense. You know, goth has always been a part of that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a thing where if someone wants to be goth and they don't want to dress up like that, you should give them shit about it. But I do think it's an important part of the scene and kind of, it's about being loud and proud of this subculture. Yeah, I mean, I always, it's funny because I've kind of divorced my label from myself to some extent because my label primarily focuses on like couture bridal and uh we've been doing a lot of back braces over the pandemic because a lot of people working from home are realizing oh wow my back is in terrible condition uh so you know i i have i have written material on brace making and stuff so um yeah, I've always kind of divorced, like even as a DJ, I don't wear much of my own product. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'll make myself a blazer or like a jacket, but when I, you know, when I DJ, I, I really try to um, present more androgynously than the clothing I make. Yeah. The clothing I make is definitely not stuff that I personally wear anymore, but I'm highly skilled in it and I love making it and I love ma helping people, you know, have their special dress for their special wedding day or yeah. their, you know, their thing. But I've been, I've been making more ready to wear clothing that would be in line with that androgynous, you know, inspired by Rick Owens and that kind of stuff. But in terms of the corsetry, I feel like it's a, I, I reach a different demographic. I don't really reach the goths because sure. my product is more designed for specialty people as opposed to fashion people if that makes sense yeah. because it's functional clothing like braces or uh tight lacing for fetishists or body modification there are definitely people in the goth scene that do. do body modification it dovetails but it's not a huge part of the goth scene it's kind of like like i said it dovetails so in terms of like goth clientele i don't really get a ton but I do get a lot of goths who kind of like recognize my store as a cool gothy store. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I cater to a little bit of a different crowd, more of like the people who used to be goth that still want to capture some of that, but don't want to wear drippy velvet dresses anymore because they're in their fifties. <laughs> you know what though? I mean, I'll say this. So I'll throw a little eyeliner on or something like that and, and do it. But unlike my 20s, you're right. Like, I'm not about to get done up in a full leather harness or something like that at 44, you know, I mainly just because of the effort involved. <laughs> but 
I do still think that people, although you're right, it's kind of a fringe side of the goth scene that that comes out for that in, in terms of the, the bondage or the body modification and so on and so forth. But everyone does, I think, associate with it, even if they're not willing to be a part of it themselves. Like, I do think it's a noticeable a part of the goth community. Like, you see that, and to me, I still think immediately, like, if I see somebody like that in a goth club, I'm like, well, obviously, that fits here. That, as a matter of fact, I'd be doing that myself if I could just get on a treadmill. Goddamn, you know, but... <laughs> well, I think like, like there's, or in the corsetry industry over the last 10 years, it went from being a very small niche industry. Like, you know, my brand probably wouldn't exist today if it wasn't for the fact that I was one of those pioneers 15, 20 years ago online in the live journal days, um, because it's become completely saturated and it's become saturated, like, because back in the day, you would have your ready-to-wear corset manufacturers that made crappy tubes, mm -hmm. and then you would have us, you know, the, the, the companies that were actually producing real corsetry. Right. And with the, with, with the last few years, there's been a lot of lower-end brands coming out that actually have pretty decent shaping that are pretty, pretty good for a cheapo product, and I can't compete against that online but people still recognize my name and they come to me for my label and they save up their pennies to get that one showpiece from me, which is great. Um, but it, it kind of makes the corsetry part of the business a little unsustainable because I'm not ready to, you know, start manufacturing overseas and competing with these companies with $99 corsets. I can't even make one for the material cost, you know? <laughs> How, how does that feel a little bit when you see now, I mean, as somebody who though has been doing this and was doing kind of probably making a lot of your own goth scene clothes back in the day when you were younger for yourself, because how else do you afford this shit? And, or oh, yes. even it didn't exist as much that, you know, this was pre hot topic days. So like there wasn't such a thing that you could just get, you had to make it yourself if you wanted it for the most part. Now to see a thing like a Killstar or stuff like that, that, I mean, can be really expensive and is just a whole brand um, or whatnot that is pretty popular with a lot of people that, like, you, like we talked about, don't even necessarily listen to goth music that much. But this, this brand name has become a thing like Abercrombie and Fitch in a way. Um, how, how does that kind of feel for you? Like, are you one of those more power to them, whatever, it's their money. If they want to buy this thing, good for them. Or do you think it, it is important to kind of maintain the culture of people going out to, uh, you know, thrift shops, finding this stuff, sewing it together themselves, because it, it had some special meaning in that way? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really focus a lot of energy on that because it's, because what you're basically asking me it's less about the scene and less about um, the authenticity of being a goth. It's to me, all I'm hearing is fast fashion versus slow fashion, you know, um, fast fashion being like, like, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that you thought Killstar was expensive. And I'm like, 
personally, I'm like, oh, that's not expensive at all. That's cheap shit. Like all of it's cheap shit <laughs> compared yeah. to like the product that I made, but also the products that I supported back in the day. Well, this isn't brand new for me. I, when I was a teenager, I thrifted or I saved my pennies to buy those velvet dresses from Desire Incorporated and Siren because they were locally made companies that did really cool stuff or fashion crimes. Uh, Siren was the first goth shop in North America that was bringing in the really cool stuff from Britain and they had their own in-house products. And so though I was always kind of minded towards, and I mean, back in the day, the dresses from Siren were $200 for stretch velvet dresses. And that was in the nineties and the early two thousands when $200 was a lot back then compared to what it is now. So the way I'm seeing it is that, you're basically asking me to comment on fast fashion versus slow fashion. And that's a huge dense topic because we could go into, you know, topics about sustainability, topics about racism, topics about uh, inequality, systematic inequality with, uh, you know, manufacturing and labor laws. There's a lot that can go, that goes into that. And part of my tenets of being a subculture kid has always been, you know, um, support local, uh, minimize your impact on the environment, minimize your impact on harm. So I never would have shopped at, you know, <laughs> shops like Killstar, even if I had, you know, the option back then, the option back yeah. then, that's just wouldn't have been part of my ethos. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't really ever compare a business like mine to something like Killstar because it, it it's a completely different business model. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Cool. Um, so the other big thing here that I always like to do, and I'm, I'm excited to ask you, I think you'll be a good person for this, is as a music review page, I always like to ask artists, what are three things that you're excited about or listening to right now? Um, but for you being a, a DJ with a finger on the pulse in the way that you do, I know that you will have three wonderful takes that hopefully are ones even I don't know, um, which will be very cool and give me something to look up what are you know three things from all your shows you've spun this week or whatever that you think people need to know about that they don't right now? All right, number one, this is so not goth at all. That's and okay. <laughs> this is just the the least goth answer. Uh, Donnie Benet. Okay. Donnie Benet is it this artist. And I always kind of compare him to Enya, but there's lots of other artists I could probably compare him to, like, you know, Trent Reznor, in as much that he produces everything on his own like he is he's he's that guy that will like you know lay down all of the tracks for all of the instruments himself uh he writes lounge music but like synthy 80s throwback lounge music but what attracted me to him were his advertisements online because he has these youtube videos uh promoting his his album his newest album la piano that look like something out of a tim and eric thing like i thought it was a tim and eric thing when i first saw it i was like this is not real this is not real at all but nay my friends nay it is real and his name is is donny benet <laughs> but he also writes really interesting music it's got a little john carpenter in it okay like it's 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 got some layers to it and he's actually a phenomenal musician like he's technically he's a very very good musician so Do you know where they're from He's from Australia. Australia. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's one dude. It's one, one, one dude, dude with, with the, with the balding mullet and, uh, 
He's he's wonderful, and I literally thought he was a Tim and Eric character. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna look that up for sure. That's one, two. Hmm. Uh, two. I'm gonna go with Choke Chain. I know we all I know we all know and love Choke Chain at this point. Hopefully, we all know and love Choke Chain at this point. We should. Uh, because uh, b- bringing him to Toronto was fucking phenomenal experience. He's a wonderful, wonderful person, lovely human being, and Amazing. an incredible showman. So when I first, you know, obviously Vernal Trash introduced me to uh, to Choke Chain because Vernal Trash comes out of that hardcore uh, era. Like he's he's yeah. he's a hardcore kid at heart. So he will find cool artists that have also come out of that hardcore tradition, which Choke Chain is definitely. And uh, when I first heard Choke Chain, I was like, this is awesome. What's his live show going to be like? You know, like, uh, what's he going to do? And then I met him and I was like, now I'm really confused. <laughs> How the fuck is this going to translate? And then we watched him and I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> wow it it is baffling in intent mark like i had him on to interview i don't know it was a a couple months ago um right before they went on tour and he did the shows with frontline assembly and yeah. you know so he, he's just such when you meet him in person a soft-spoken chill person that it is just incomprehensible when you see the napalm glory burning your fucking eardrums out that happens during his live you're like what who the fuck is that i just talked to that guy 10 minutes ago and that cannot be him like that is fucking intense but you're right like it really is i mean although there's all the electronic elements to the music it's hardcore punk yeah. Like, there's no way to separate it from that well, even his logo kind of as a take on the cross you know thing and you're just like yeah um, yeah, no, when, when, when I met him, I deeply appreciated it because I, I too came out of a, of a, of a, of a history of a, as a performer where I'm a pretty brash, pretty goth, pretty punky person in my real life. But when I did my shows, my shows were very sensitive and very like over the top, like artistic. And, you know, there it wasn't, it wasn't as biting and sarcastic as, as I am in my waking life, you know, my, my characters wouldn't say the word fuck, you know, like they, you know, one of my characters, uh, the, my wind up doll, Coppelia, I kind of like refer to her as, as, as like a, uh, as a dopey lovable robot that doesn't understand social cues. So it's like, I, people would always get that weird impression from me too. When they would meet me, they would always be like, you're so different from the art you make. And I, I appreciate artists that are like that. I love that. I love that juxtaposition and that dichotomy. It's so wonderful to see an artist like that and just giving it 100%. Like Mark is just bloody bananas on stage in the most best possible way. It's just incredible to watch him work. I think people are more always surprised with me that from whether it's this show or my musical performance or whatever, that no, when they meet me in person, I'm silly as fuck in the exact same way. Like it's, they're like, oh no, I I, I guess you just walk around like that all the time. Oh, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's I, I love that. I think it's so important, you know, to 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 have those jokes. It's comedy. Comedy's juxtapositions. True. All right, third band that you want to give a shout out to, and I'll tell you, I'd have a special request here. I 
have been getting into the witch house <laughs> ever since uh, I did an interview with sidewalks and skeletons. Um, so if you happen to, from the Vaporwave show, have anyone that sticks out in your mind that was a cool witch house vibe, I would love to hear about it. See, I'm not really into the witch house. Uh, that's more Connor's wheelhouse. Figured, I'm more into the synthwave. Okay, okay. Kind I just of side of things. sitting next to him. You'd heard something. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an ear for witch house as, as much that's as I would cool. like to. Uh, I, need, I definitely need to explore it more on my own. That's fair. Um, okay, well, I know that... I know that uh, Vernal Trash has spun one of Kenzie Fire's side projects where that, that is very witch housey. And for the life of me, I can't remember it, but I just remember that there was one track that Kenzie did that I was like, oh, that sounds great. I like that. For, for witch house, I'm into that. In general, I'm all for shouting out Kenzie Fire's uh, in yeah. all of uh, her many forms and formats and bands and fires. And uh, I'm just a huge fan of her entire personality and vibe. Yeah, no, she's, she's fucking, and, and, and an A-plus musician. Yeah. Like, she knows her fucking music and she knows her technique and that's so important. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, of, of technical music, like music where people know beyond just the one, four, five chord and they can actually yeah. build upon and, and, and do interesting things with music. Because I think that it, 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 I've always had this opinion as an artist that if you don't focus on honing your craft consistently, like I practice my DJing, I want to get even better at DJing. I want to start doing all kinds of cool, crazy, more higher level performance stuff, because I feel like if you are going to do something, take it to that the fullest extent that you can take it to learn about your craft, learn about your music, learn about your history, learn your technique, watch videos on, you know, how to craft music, watch, you know, read books about how to, you know, write a song, yeah. study people, producers that give out free, amazing advice on how to produce good tracks because why wouldn't you if you if you love it as much as you say you do if you say music is your savior music is your salvation and music is your everything and it's the thing that you know you focus on why aren't you spending more time learning about it then <laughs> you know? I, and i think that's something that it, you know there's always all the talk about uh you know the glory days back in the day and whatnot and i i think there is something to be said for some of the aspects of that but I think today, one of the big things that we talk about on this show a lot is for 2000, it isn't like you need $50,000 or $250 an hour to go into a studio now for like 2000 to 2500 bucks, you can have a very decent professional recording setup in your bedroom and you can experiment with anything you want. But to your point beyond it, all of the inputs and and pick up and programs and whatnot, you can go on YouTube or just look up, you know, Google search pages with top-notch professionals where you don't have to go get a recording degree for $40,000 either. And you can learn if you want to take the time or these manuals are all online and printed. If you want to put in the time and energy to read them, you can become a top of the game person if you put in the dedication and time to it. And that was not always true. These used to be pretty carefully guarded secrets that recording engineers to a point would a lot keep to themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, with, with the accessibility that we have now today, like, I mean, Dead Mouse, for example, 
Deadmau5 will answer any of your questions. If you're like, yo, I want to learn how to do this thing, he'll be like, yo, I'll answer that question. Like we have so much accessibility now. It, it just, it, it's, it's ignorance and laziness. It's not even ignorance at this point. It's laziness that prevents people from wanting to explore their craft further. Like it blows my mind how many DJs, for example, don't even really understand music theory. Like sure. maybe I was privileged coming from a background where I studied music uh, and I do have the equivalent to a bachelor's degree in music mm -hmm. um, as a pianist. But like, I always thought that like, especially when I was younger, you know, and I didn't know anything about DJing and it always seemed yeah. daunting because, oh, the beepy boopy machines and I'm an acoustic pianist, you know. Um, I, 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 I didn't realize a, how easy it is. And part of, you know, why I like doing my shows and getting on the mic and talking to people is to inspire a lot of people. Like I did a, when I did my show about the history of the celebrity DJ, we talked about beat matching and how easy it is and how you can do it. And it just like inspired a bunch of people. And then I heard, you know, on the Facebooks a few days later, oh, this person just did their first beat match and this person just did their first. I'm like, this is great. This, we want to see this. I want to see this. Yeah, no, I, I, and like, and that's a great feeling too, that a lot of times I think people don't understand that, I don't know, watching other people get inspired and go do something because of some knowledge you shared on this. And, and that's why everybody, no matter what level that you're at, should be into doing that, to sharing all the knowledge with everybody that you can, because you never know when that's going to impact somebody that who knows, maybe five years from now, you hear music and and know that you had a, a tiny piece or tiny touch in that you know way back from five years ago you know and that's yeah. such an amazing feeling too yeah i mean it was like i mean uh, when adonis adonis dropped spectrums uh i was chatting with dean one day just over drinks and he was like, I want to do a, I want to do a dancey record for the next record. Cause we were joking about how I was like, dude, your fucking long breakdowns are killing me as a DJ. I'm trying to spin your music. It's so fucking hard. And so he came to me and was like, what would you, what do you need to hear as a DJ? What will make our songs playable as a DJ? Yeah. And I just broke down, like, I need to have this, 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 and this. And these are the BPMs we mostly work in. If you can write stuff in that. I'll definitely spin it more often. And, you know, then they dropped the incredible fucking album. Dude, I love that album. It's so good. <laughs> I was actually, that was one art. So this interview isn't released yet. But then again, it will be before this one. Um, when I was talking to Jason Corbett and asked him for three band, one of the ones he called out was Adonis Adonis. Um, and so we talked about them. Love, love those boys. Love yeah. them so much. They're, 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 they're such gems of, of humans as well. Like, yeah. I, I think that, again, is the, is the new trend, is that, frankly, in 2022, it is not too much to ask that you aren't just a good musician for all the reasons that we said, because you can get recording equipment, you can get access, you have time to play and a million sources to learn it, so you're good, but then on top of it, you meet the basic requirement for not being a total piece of shit. Yeah, like... like I like Denim and I were talking about that. Denim and I were talking about that because um, Denim also works as a promoter. Mm -hmm. So not only is he in like a really successful, awesome band, but he has a successful promotions company. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to name names, but I, I saw a band recently that I've loved for a long time and I've been spinning on the show that I was introduced to by Define.Human, who's an amazing curator of music. And uh, went up to them after the show 
and was like, yo, you guys fucking rocked. Like, you guys were amazing. And the singer, uh, you know, and I was like, I spin you guys a lot on my show. Like, in, 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 in an effort to, to, to extend the handshake of like, hey, I'm an industry professional too, and I, you guys kicked it. Yeah. And the singer was like, yeah, that's cool. And treated me like I was some simping, you know, teenager. And I was like, that's not cool at all. And, you know, I was telling Denim about that. And he was like, yeah, I fucking hate working with bands like that. He's like, if I had my choice, I would only work with awesome people. And I don't want to work with shitty people. You know, I think that the day of being the shitty egotistical rock star is fucking over. It is done. Like, I, because it's just that. Nowadays, you maybe do that four or five times to someone like you and word just gets out about you. Like you said, you're not naming names, you're not making a deal out of it, but word gets out. And frankly, it won't be long, a year or two before everybody's like, well, there's 10 other people that aren't pricks that I could be doing this show with. How about I just do it with one of them? Yeah. And that's the reality now. And frankly, I'm not mad about it. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah me too. I think that we, we need to, uh, we need to making the scene better and it's all, and it all co comes into part of the broader conversation about like shitty predators and terrible gatekeeping. Those are the people that are the jerks. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just, we, we, we've known from day one who the jerks are. Yeah. We just are in denial about it because we like their music or we like their personality or they're really cute. And I think that if we take a stand against, the bad actors from the get-go, you know, uh, there's no, there's no need to have a, a giant ego. Like there really isn't, I can tell you right now in my own industry, prior to the pandemic, I was very well known. I've been, there, I've been written about in books on clowning. Do you think I fucking expect the rest of the world to know that? No, it's a niche. Like Do you God have any idea the who thing. I am in the clown scene, motherfucker? You know what I, I mean? Have like it's 50 clowns outside your house tomorrow. It's ridiculous. And it's the same thing with it. Like we need a little bit more humility in this industry. <laughs> like you're goth musicians. It's not, oh. you know, it's like nobody in the, in the, no, nobody in the outside world actually cares about you. <laughs> oh, now I'm, now I'm really picturing you uh, sending a big like uh, mafia clown army to someone's house, just standing out there all sitting around like, honking their noses and at midnight and stuff. Um, no really, one will hear them coming because they're mimes. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Oh, that'd be worse than the clowns. If you just like flipped on your porch light and there was like a hundred mimes just standing out in front of your it's, house. It, it's, it's like the, the, was it the hi-hats from, from the Warriors? It was yeah, like the hi-hats yes. from the Warriors. <laughs> that would, I think that's my new special nightmare now. Thank you for that. I'll, You're I'll... welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kate, it has been a true pleasure having Wait, you. Wait, I didn't give I didn't give my third band. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Adonis Adonis. Go ahead, please. I mean, I love Adonis Adonis. I always got to squeak them in. But yeah. third band, uh, Blue Anxiety. Blue, okay, well, who is that? I've never heard Blue, of them. Oh, you you've heard them on our show. That's quite possible. But <laughs> tell everybody a little bit about the band. Blue Anxiety, big shout out. Uh, to those folks, not only are they lovely fucking human beings, back into the conversation about lovely human beings, uh, but they're also, they, they talk the talk, they walk the walk, and goddamn, they're writing progressive and interesting, cool industrial music. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, internet terrorist 
is one of the tracks I fucking drop all the time on the show. It, it, it talks about Dracula. It talks about social inequality. There's the, the, there's the, the, the Yahoo You Got Mail sound in there. Like, it's a, it's a cacophony of amazing music. And they're, again, progressive band that's taking industrial music, but elevating it, adding different perspectives to it. Um, adding different vocalization and vocal style to it doesn't sound like everything else you're going to hear. It sounds uniquely, distinctly them. And God damn, that shit rocks. And it's hard hitting and it's, it's, it's really, really, really solid fucking industrial music. Beautiful. I'm for it. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, do you have some, because you're starting to do events again. I've seen, and I know you've kind of had a couple of bands, you know, where I've been excited when I saw in Toronto, like Boot Blacks or Choke Chain. Um, do you have any events coming up that you want to let people know about so that they can make sure to make it out if they're in the Toronto area? Uh, we do our monthly uh, Dead Heat at the Cat on Q, which is, I think, the third Saturday of every month. Mm -hmm. And uh, every other month, so uh, we, we skip a month. Uh, our next event, I believe, is July 7th at Handlebar, which is our uniquely d darkness forever, post-punk goth kind of show. Um, and Handlebar is uh, in Toronto on Augusta Avenue in Kensington Market. Really lovely venue. Great bar. That's where we actually hosted Boot Blacks and Choke Chain. That's, that's our, our, our go-to venue for live events. With live events uh, in September 24th, we're bringing the Foreign Resort and Hapax to Toronto. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and that will be at Handlebar as well. So it's a really lovely, awesome venue. Very intimate. So if you want to see, it's going to be Hapax's first, like, uh, I think their second Canadian stop, but their first Canadian tour. Uh, really awesome venue to see them there uh, because it is so intimate. Uh, so that's happening September 24th. And uh, I'm going to be DJing Terminus at the end of July, which what? is awesome. That is such, that lineup for Terminus this year is fucking insane. Like, pardon Killer. my French. It is fucking insane, the bands that are together on that and DJs and everything. I might have to put my house up for mortgage to, like, you know, find a way to go to that show. It's um, Calgary. It's not going to be that expensive to fly to Calgary. <laughs> if it I was mean, Toronto, I'd be like, yeah, flights to Toronto are pretty. Here's the thing for me, though, is I'm kind of already signed up to do two other festivals. And you, again, I do this as a hobby. I, I'm not funded for it. So I do got to pick it. But then afterwards, I saw the lineup there and I'm like, fuck, I really want to go to Canada. Just come. Just come. <laughs> do it. I might, I might have to. I got some, <laughs> I got some equity, whatever. Yeah, come on. That's, that's what equity is for. It's the, it's the rainy day special. Come on. <laughs> Save for a rainy day. Well, is guess what, buddy? It's about Canadian to start pouring. Festivals? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> beautiful. Anything else, Kate, that uh, you want to uh, shout out um, in terms of coming up? Uh, and then I will ask you for a song for us to spin out to. Oh, I, I don't even, I'm not even set up to spin music oh, right you now. Don't. We'll, we'll put that in for you. Yo, okay, you'll put that. You're our like, guest. You don't have to do anything technical here today. It's like, you, you want me to do technical things on my no, day no. off? No. 
Um, yeah, there's a couple of things in the pipeline that I can't actually talk about yet. So that kind of sucks. So I can't just be like, hey, look for me doing this cool, wacky new thing. Um, I guess the one thing I could mention is I, I will be starting a YouTube channel finally, um, which I would love support in. And it's going to be focusing on basically longer and more in-depth uh, topics, but spread out over videos. Uh, that we do on the on the, on the listening party. So I'm going to be doing videos breaking down uh, the differences between different musical genres. Um, videos about uh, the, the the very black history of goth music is definitely going to be one of those because we got a big response from that show. Yes. So people wanted to be able to reference it, uh, and then just other musical factoids, uh, music history, uh, a little bit of theory. I'm not probably going to get too much into theory, but uh, just all kinds of things relating to music. So it'll be a bit, bit more of a deep dive than we do on the shows that is accessible that you can watch and rewatch. Everybody of all of our YouTube followers, make sure that you look out for that. And the moment the show does happen and starts up, I'll make sure to add a link in the comments. Uh, Amazing. So and I'll go over and follow Kate Muir uh, on their new YouTube channel. So uh, Kate, at the end here, what I wanna do is spin out. And I know you mentioned a minute ago, um, kind of one of the shows that you want coming up to do is uh, Black Artists in the scene or people of color in the scene. Um, do you have an artist like that that you think would be good for us to spin out to? Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, if we spin out to some Dark Machine Nation, that would be awesome because Dark Machine Nation is coming up and pulling out some really, really awesome new stuff. He just released some new uh, material over the pandemic, including a really cool side project that's a lot softer and gentler, which I really like. It's a little bit more like, uh, he, he refers to it as more nostalgic. Um, I think it's something called The Little Toy Robot. It's really endearing, uh, but he's still putting out the hard-hitting Dark Machine Nation shit that we all love and fucking adore. So I'd say let's spin out to some Dark Machine Nation. I love it. From us here at Sounds and Shadows, this has been DJ Hate Muir, uh, and I am Precious Ken, and this is Dark Machine Nation. Keep it dark, you
care about none of the shit I fucking said and none of the shit I fucking did and stood for and put my fucking neck on the line. You don't give a fuck about nothing, but you just your fucking Instagram. You fucking ugly. Fuck you. Don't act like I was your friend. I'm not your fucking friend. <laughs>